Well, hi, everybody. This is a podcast for the Washington Association of Sheriffs and Police Chiefs, or WASPIC. Uh, I am uh, WASPIC's Executive Director, Steve Strand, and uh, we're very, very pleased uh, for this podcast to have with us uh, as our guest, Chief Sherry Harris of the Kirkland, Washington Police Department. Welcome, Chief. Thank you. Um, what I want to talk about is a topic that is really um, significant for um, all of our chiefs and sheriffs throughout our state, and that is obviously, um, you know, the, the topic that takes up just about everybody's time and attention and has for the last several weeks, and that's coronavirus, um, which is in many ways the most significant uh, news story, the most significant crisis that a lot of people have, have experienced in their entire lives. And for the beginning of this, at least in the United States and certainly in Washington State, the center of this, uh, the epicenter, if I can use that word, is or was, excuse me, Kirkland, Washington, uh, the city in which you serve as chief. And of course, you were in the middle of that. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that and um, what you did, what you learned, what worked, what didn't. So if I could, Chief, um, as we welcome you to this podcast, can you just start a little bit about, or start by talking a little bit about um, when did this start? How did this come to your attention? What were the first signs that there was a problem that turned into what has now become really a global, you know, our part of a global crisis. Yeah, so the, the fire department had actually recognized um, on February 27th that there was a bit of a trend that they believed a trend increasing of responses to uh, what's called Life Care Center of Kirkland. It's a long-term skilled nursing facility. Uh, and they were responding there for for patients with flu-like symptoms. And they reported this concern to local public health. And then the very next day on February 28th, we were notified uh, that the first resident at Life Care Center had died um, as a result of COVID-19 um, at, at the hospital here in Kirkland at Evergreen Hospital. In addition, uh, the same day we learned that the first healthcare worker from Life Care had tested positive. And just doing some analysis on, on that day and then opening the emergency operations center on the 29th, um, we found that there were initially 17 firefighters who had COVID positive contacts, you know, po contacts with COVID positive patients at Life Care Center that needed to be quarantined. And then through some really exhaustive investigations of calls for service at Life Care, that increased to 31 firefighters and four police officers. Um, so that's really what started this. I, I was actually out of town that weekend um, and got a text message uh, late on the 28th um, and on the 29th had booked a flight to come home uh, early and the EOC was in full activation at that time. So, and I'm sorry, the day was March 27th again? So the first time that, I, that the fire department reported to public health an increase in flu-like symptoms at, at, at Life Care Center was on February 27th. Oh, February 27th. I'm sorry. Um, so it, when you talked about sort of exhaustive research in the element of uh, how um, these things would be tracked, that's a, in other words, of sort of early contract, what we would now call contact tracing. In other words, trying to determine where those contacts were to determine who has to be quarantined. It's probably not a term you'd heard at that time. 
I had, I had uh, never heard that. And the fire, they call it surveillance, which mm -hmm. to me means something very different. Um, but to, on the fire side and public health, it's, it is doing, conducting an investigation into who's had contact, who was there, and what, what uh, measures were they taking at the time? Did they have uh, a mask, glasses, gloves, a gown on? Or, um, or did, had they just walked in there unprotected? So that was that's going to be my next question. Actually, is is so much of this crisis locally and nationally, and again, I guess I would say even globally. I mean, for, I mean, we've talked about the World Health Organization more than any other time in my life. We've talked about, you know, Dr. Fauci. We've talked about public health. Uh, you know, I've served as a chief and a sheriff myself, and you know, we know about public health. We know about what they do, but it's never been. Uh, so much the center of what we do. Um, talk a little bit about how the fire department interacts with public health and how the police department interacts with public health and sort of what you needed to learn, what your, I guess, the learning curve that we've all been going through. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I would say in my career, the, really the only times I've had a lot of contact with public health is if we had some kind of um, you know, blood or body fluid exchange between an officer and someone who maybe had hepatitis or they were HIV positive. Um, and, and then we would contact public health to, to determine whether or not we could get the, the suspect that was involved tested. Um, the fire department, however, they, they have a health officer that, that uh, is a firefighter as well, but also a captain, so has a little bit of management and supervisory responsibility. And then all of King County has a, a, an EMS director uh, who provides guidance on medical protocols in the field. And so they, they work with that EMS director basically on, on a daily basis um, who has a direct line to King County Public Health. Uh, it's my understanding they're kind of like in the same building, same floor, a lot of conversation going on between them on protocols as this was evolving and still today, whether we're all going to wear masks from now on um, while we're, we're at work and in the public. Um, and so that, it, that was a huge benefit to us. I, I sat in the EOC next to uh, the fire chief uh, for many weeks, and then we had the health officer there at our disposal to look at calls and say, hey, we went on a death investigation and this officer didn't have um, eye protection on. Um, and, and the patient ended the deceased ended up being COVID positive. What do we do now? Well, we quarantine them um, because the eye protection is required. Uh, so definitely a different relationship for fire, but we have been able to benefit from that. So, and it, I'm just thinking to myself as you're saying that that I think about things like uh, the Oso landslide or you know natural disasters when these things come up or a large scale incident. Um, as somebody who's worked in law enforcement myself, I've always found the fire department is set up for that sort of large-scale team effort. It's what fire does. I mean, they are very, they're very well um, versed in incident command and setting up long-term plans. Again, it's what they do. In law enforcement, we're much more response-based, individual-based. Again, did you find that, um, you know, jumping into this massive public health crisis that really was centered for a while in Kirkland, um, that 
you know, from the law enforcement side, you sort of had to almost learn a new vocabulary? Absolutely. Um, we, we definitely in law enforcement, we, we have operations plans, but they typically, the operation period isn't this long. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and usually we're able to solve the problem. If it's a drug house, we're able to solve that problem within a few months. Uh, it doesn't continue to go on like this. We definitely have different terminology and, you know, just, um, posters and, and checklists through, throughout our department now on how to self-decon if you, if you needed to, um, on you know, how to properly don and doff uh, your equipment. In every patrol car, there is a little red bag that has an N95 mask and uh, eyeglasses and a gown. And that typically was something a police officer might use once or twice maybe a year if they thought they were going in maybe to a meth lab or, or right. a porter's house. Um, and now those masks are actually in their pockets and the glasses are on their head. Um, and so it's just that protective equipment we're using on a daily basis. It's not in the trunk of our car anymore. Right. Where was the moment, you know, what was it that, that and you mentioned you were out of town um, at, you know, in late February, what was that moment or what was it that, that took this from, oh, this is something we have to deal with or this is something going on to I need to get back there and this is going to be a significant challenge for us? I mean, what was it that sort of pushed that over the top of the hill? Well, that, it was the information from the fire department that they'd seen an increase in uh, flu-like symptoms mm-hmm. um, and that there were most likely police officers that had been to uh, death investigations there. Right. Uh, and would need to be quarantined. And that, you know, again, that is not something that law enforcement has ever really dealt with, that you might quarantine a police officer for 14 days. No, no. If they're symptomatic, put them in isolation. No, before this, before this uh, crisis started, I, I don't think I've ever heard of a police officer being quarantined in my, you know, 30 plus years. I don't think, I've, I don't think it's ever come up. It's never been something we've had to deal with. Yeah, what, I agree. What did you find yourself spending most of your time doing once this got ramped up, you, you mentioned the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center, uh, was initiated. Um, what did your day look like for those, uh, you know, weeks into the, into the months now that we've had since that time? Well, the, you know, at the, the start of each day, it really was about re- reviewing the calls for service that had, ha- that had occurred that night. Um, the first week, we still continued to have quite a few calls at Life Care Center. Um, you know, they, they had about 100 pa- uh, patients that tested positive residents, um, and 75 of those were symptomatic. And ultimately, there were 60 hospitalized, and they had 43 deaths. And then there were staff as well. Um, so we did every morning reviewing calls. Um, it really was about trying to take care of people. Um, we also had an outbreak of flu the Kirkland Police Department mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. So that wasn't helpful. A lot of, you know, very concerned officers and whether or not they were exposing their family. Um, a lot of policy decisions to be made on, okay, this, this person is now in quarantine. And in, in that first couple weeks, you had to prove that, that your officer had te- uh, had a positive exposure in the community to somebody that was covid um, and, and that changed fairly quickly, but the first few days, there was a lot of conversation about whether or not someone should get tested if we couldn't 
positively say they've been, been exposed. Um, and, you know, policy decisions, uh, I was very lucky in Kirkland from the very first day the city manager agreed with the protocol to anyone who had had an exposure and was going to be in quarantine or isolation would be placed on administrative leave. So they didn't have to use their own time. And that was a big deal because if someone had been exposed, but they weren't sick, they had no symptoms, they don't want to use their own time to stay home. Um, and on the flip side, we've kind of had a culture where if you've got a cold, you still come to work most of the time. You really got to be pretty sick before you're calling, calling in sick. Um, so people that were experience, experiencing flu-like symptoms, we put them on administrative leave, asked them to stay in isolation, um, and it worked really well. And if we, if we hadn't had that policy decision, it, it could have been more difficult trying to get people to stay home. Um, it's, it sounds like part of that, and I totally get that. I'm thinking back again, you know, as a patrol officer years ago, that's the culture, you know, buck it yeah. up, get to work. Um, so part of that was a little bit of a culture change and communications challenge for you, I assume, where it's, you know, no, the right thing to do is for you to stay home when this comes up. Yes, and, and then assisting with you know, there are a couple officers and, and firefighters, especially, who had family members at home that had compromised immune systems. Mm -hmm. So we actually had also fully outfitted an empty city building uh, with beds, um, you know, everything you need for a kitchen. So we could have officers or firefighters that were in isolation or in quarantine. We had another fire station that we had clear, uh, cleared out as far as uh, vehicles and equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, so we could use that as well. But then they need to be supported as well. They need groceries, they need food, um, depending on, on how sick they were. And again, we were really lucky. There was no police officers have tested positive, although we've had some that were pretty sick with the flu. And we've only had one firefighter, knock on wood, that tested positive. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the things you're talking about, you know, the testing piece, the emergency operations center, the the work with public health, the, the culture change you just referred to, the setting up the quarantine location for staff and getting it supported have become um, sort of protocols that you're seeing all over the country, all over the world, I guess, in emergency services. But when this occurred in late February in Kirkland, none of that was typical. None of that was something we talked about. And I have to think, I mean, this was, this had to be all new. There was, you know, there's no in-basket for this. There's no, um, you know, there's no seminar that you go to to learn how to do all these things. Talk a little bit about the, the fact that you were at the cutting edge. I mean, Kirkland was the, at the front of the line, unfortunately, for this. And all these things you just talked about, um, how did you work with, with the EOC and the team and your staff to, to develop those things that, frankly, everybody else is doing now? But we, we had already been doing training in Kirkland. We have a full-time emergency manager. And I would say that I think that ongoing training was, was very beneficial that we, we all knew each other. We have a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, we, have, we had done some tabletop exercises and some full-scale drills, um, both at the policy level with directors and city council members, city manager, and at, at the line level. Um, so I think that certainly is something that helped. Um, 
And then just a lot of communication. I, I put out daily updates via email to the department. And then we also were doing daily calls with the city manager, the EOC, and all the other department directors. Because there were a lot of other staff in the city that were very scared, that worked in you know, uh, the parks department or public works. I mean, that, those first couple of weeks, it was not popular to say that you work in Kirkland. Uh, it, it, it kind of was, it was very similar to when they were asking about the travel ban. Um, have you been to China or have you been to Kirkland? That, that, yeah. that did scare people a little bit. So just trying to reassure them and communicate and get as much information out. Um, and then just problem solve these protocols. Um, what, what could go wrong? What could go right? What are we missing? Right. Talk, so talk a little bit more. I'm, I'm interested in, in um, and again, uh, particularly at the beginning of this when I mean, there's still so much unknown and there's still so much anxiety and stress, you know, now that we're into May. Um, but in late February, as so much of this um, was starting to hit, and as you mentioned, Kirkland, uh, you know, it was, it was all about Kirkland for a while. And t talk a little bit more, if you could, about the officers and their families and your staff and their anxiety levels and how you sort of help to deal with that. Well, I, I think it really helped that we had uh, good protective, protective equipment to, to give to them. And some of that is because we started early, right? We started on February 29th trying to find uh, personal protective equipment. Um, and then we had some pretty good stores. So just having the equipment necessary was definitely very helpful. But the, there is staff that have been very concerned about, again, taking something home to their family. Um, we did take the health officer to uh, police briefings. We took the health officer into the jail. Um, it, you know, someone else that, that works in this field, it's not just the police or, or, I'm sorry, the chief or a captain giving them direction, but they get to hear it exactly, you know, from the Kirkland Fire Department health officer who talks directly to the EMS director and public health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that information was huge in, in the communication. Um, and I think, again, knowing that they, if they were at home, they were going to be on administrative leave, they didn't have to worry about their time. Um, there were a few family members that we were able to get tested very early on when that, that wasn't necessarily um, commonplace. So that helped them. Um, we had no problems at all with staff coming to work. I mean, our, our officers, I'm actually got too many people working right now. Nobody wants to take any time off. Mm -hmm. um, part of that really is to support each other. Um, a little bit of it's because you can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it really is about supporting each other and, and, and supporting the community. Uh, but there, there are definitely some, 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 I guess, policy decisions we had to make that I was worried about them not being popular. So asking them not to be as proactive, just be more visible, mm -hmm. asking them to make phone calls, uh, when it was not an emergency. I was definitely worried about them being resistant to that. And ultimately, they ended up feeling like we were trying to take care of them and allowing them to respond that way. Um, yep. you know, ask, asking people to come out of their home to talk to us, um, changing protocols for death investigations very early on um, that you know, we're not sending the entire squad into a to a death investigation uh, and trying to kind of limit who's exposed and, and ensuring that everyone is wearing their PPE. 
Right. And like I say, I, as you talk through this, I've heard so many of the same comments from other chiefs and sheriffs to talk about uh, sort of that, that shift that officers and deputies have had to go through. Um, the, the things that we value and reinforce, um, being proactive, working with people directly, reaching out to people. We're in this strange place right now where we're saying we want you to do kind of the opposite. And um, communicating that and living with that um, in a way that is positive and it's because we're taking care of each other in the community. Um, it's become um, expected and normal now, but again, Kirkland PD was doing this before others. You didn't have others to emulate. You didn't have others to follow. Um, you had to sort of lead the way on that. And I think that's pretty extraordinary. Um, what is, what does KPD look like? You know, you talked a little bit what it look, about what it looks like today. Have you seen downstream effects with your department, you know, both good and bad in terms of, of um, you know, how people relate to each other and how the department's working? Uh, we, we've, everything I would say for the most part has been very positive. I mean, we've, we've changed a lot of protocols to try and keep people separated and people are working from home. Uh, detectives mm -hmm. kind of rotate in and out. Um, it, it still, you know, this, like our department, the physical facility, still feels like home to officers. So trying to keep them separated is, is a little bit difficult because um, they, they come into the department and they feel like they're at home, but you know, we're moving workstations to split people up. Um, but just a lot, of, a lot of positive things, boot cleaning stations now. When you, you come in, you can clean your boots. Um, things that we probably should have done before, again, and like I had said, you can now see self-decon right here. We have all of the equipment. We have extra shorts and t-shirts. Um, a lot of improvements, too, in health monitoring. We were making phone calls twice a day in the beginning to check on officers that were symptomatic. And now it's all done through a health monitoring group that includes the health officer, myself, a captain. Uh, and officers just get questions now kind of through a survey monkey. They can report their symptoms. Um, we have an internal fire department, police department website where if somebody does become symptomatic they don't have to call around trying to get permission for testing they just go on to this website put their information in and someone contacts them um, and for the most part we're getting everyone tested in about in less than 24 hours and getting results back in about eight um, good. evergreen hospital has the ability if they have enough tests at the time we've had some instances where we've gotten a test back in 45 minutes Wow, that's so. Nice. For, it's, that's a big deal for the operation of the department. Mm -hmm. if a corrections officer goes home sick, and we can get them tested the next day, and we know they're not positive. Um, that really allows the rest of everyone else that worked with that officer that day to to have some peace of mind. So, and I asked you some questions about communicating with the department and you know the members of your team, but. Talk a little bit, if you could, about how did, how did you communicate, whether it's you or the city, with the Kirkland community, you know, to the, to the folks in your, in your city? Um, I mean, what worked and what didn't? Was it social media? Was it, uh, I mean, how did you do outreach? You know, I'm assuming the community had that same level of anxiety. 
Yeah, it, for the most part, it was through, we have, the city has a full-time communication manager and the department has part-time uh, public information officers that do have access to, to Twitter and a, a few social, other social media platforms. So that really was how we did most of our communication is through the communication manager. Um, there was a lot of on-camera uh, interviews in the very beginning. Those, for the most part, were focused on the fire department, and rightly so. They had 30 mm -hmm. firefighters in quarantine. So there, were, there was a lot of um, media attention in Kirkland. Um, we've, we actually, tonight, will be doing our first Zoom uh, neighborhood meeting. Mm -hmm. There are very strong neighborhoods in Kirkland, and they actually have their own associations, and a city website. Um, so we'll do our own, our first ever Zoom community meeting tonight. Uh, and we've done quite a bit of outreach with the business community to ensure, uh, you know, businesses that were empty uh, are you know, remembering to make sure to update their contact list with us. Uh, so we've had a, we had an officer kind of dedicated in the beginning to do some work there. Um, try and reduce the number of burglaries that we might have. Uh, are, is your alarm system up to date? Are your numbers up to date? Are you ensuring everything's locked? Uh, and then just trying to be visible with officers as well. Right. Do you, um, I mean, as this crisis uh, continues and, and even as, as folks are, are contemplating um, uh, adjustments and differences and restrictions and those kinds of things, uh, across the country. Um, you know, the fact is there will likely, I mean, I think everyone acknowledges that there will continue to be, um, I'm not sure if the phrase is outbreaks or, or spikes, up, and again, particularly in the most vulnerable areas like nursing homes and convalescent care homes. Um, knowing what you know now, knowing what you have learned through difficult experience, what advice would you give a chief or a sheriff um, who might experience um, that kind of an incident, which again, I think, I mean, unfortunately could still happen, um, in a place like Life Care in their community, what, what would you tell them? Well, I would tell them to, to find, for us, it was the Kirkland Fire Department health officer that was the best connection um, to public health. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would I would just encourage them to find that connection, whether it's with their their fire department or is it truly uh, with public health. And I think fire is probably they're going to have a closer relationship because they work together already in the community. Um, and, and just ensuring that you're putting those protocols in place um, for wearing personal protective equipment and for knowing how to um, decon that. That's not something that we normally do in law enforcement unless we're part of a, you know, meth lab team. Yep. Um, you know, maybe we don't wear our boots home anymore, uh, mm -hmm. but they're still in our locker. We don't necessarily do a great job of cleaning them. Um, so I think, and, and I've, we've just learned all of that from the fire department health officer, just educating us and, and sharing protocols that they do already. So to some extent, make sure you know who that person is. Make sure, and I, it, as you were talking about this, I was just reflecting on the fact that so many times um, when you talk about uh, when you talk about 
technology and systems and management, it comes down to relationships. And what I'm hearing you say is it's about those relationships, including with folks like the fire department health officer. Absolutely. It's, it's still all about relationships. Yes, exactly. So um, as we wrap up, what I am interested in hearing about is um, for the extraordinary experiences that you and your department have gone through in the, I, th I think, extraordinary leadership you've shown, um, what has surprised you? I mean, both good and bad. I mean, you know, when you reflect on this, you know, some years down the road, what are the things that, you're gonna, that are going to stick out in your mind? The things that, um, you know, maybe surprised you in a bad way, but also surprised you in a, in a more positive way? I, I, it may be my own perspective of being here in Kirkland, but I was surprised, and, and I think I've, I've taken classes with emergency operation center managers that have said, you know, you need to, you have to rely on yourself in an emergency. Don't, mm -hmm. don't think that FEMA's going to rush in or um, that the state's going to rush in. And, and I was surprised based on the significance uh, of the outbreak at Life Care Center, kind of how long it took to get representatives from kind of the, the county and the state agencies into the operations center um, and to get that communication, I, I guess, stronger. It became stronger after a couple of weeks, but it, it really took some work on our part. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a little surprising, but it shouldn't have been. I think all of our education has always been, you have to rely on yourself, have, you know, have your own food and water and uh, right. It's kind of what we think, think about. Um, and so to me, it did feel like it took, it took a while to really get uh, skilled nurses into life care center um, and, and to get good communication there. And, you know, to the rest of the world, it probably wasn't a long time. It was about seven days, uh, but we continued to have calls there every day, uh, continued to uh, be moving patients to Evergreen um, and, and to other, ended up public health at about day five, started moving patients to other hospitals as well. So not, so as not to, uh, overwhelm the hospital here. But it, that was a little bit of a surprise. It shouldn't have been. I think mm -hmm. we all get that training. It's just different when you experience it the first time. Right. Right. And then um, again, you know, as we as we finish up, um, talk a little bit about um, the departments around you, the departments that uh, are adjacent to um, Kirkland um, and other law enforcement agencies. How did you how did you work with with those folks, is particularly early on in this uh, crisis. Well, we we didn't need staffing, um, so so that wasn't necessarily an issue. But we did a lot of communication and sharing kind of new protocols and policies that we were doing. Uh, we have a group called the Eastside Chiefs that meet once a month, and so we did a phone call in the like first two weeks to talk about what was happening in Kirkland and what were we doing and. Uh, what should everyone expect if it happens in their city? Um, Redmond had quite a few uh, cases initially as well. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of in the same same boat that we were in. So we shared shared a lot of information there. Um, and we worked pretty close with the state patrol as well. We had a couple uh, incidents that happened in Kirkland. The, the suspect who was symptomatic and fought with a trooper and Kirkland officers stopped to help or, you know, went to help. Uh, and ended up with you know, four or five Kirkland officers and six or seven troopers that all needed to be deconned. 
Uh, and so, again, just as much communication as we could as far as what are we doing and what can we do to improve a response in the future. So just really lots of, just like anything else that we do in law enforcement when we have a change is just trying to share the latest and greatest um, positive things or, or things to watch out for. Yeah, and um, as is again, unfortunately frequently happens, particularly when you have a crisis like this, it, it accelerates innovation I mean, it accelerates sometimes negative change, but accelerates innovation. And, you know, what, I mean, I've, I've, again, noticed that law enforcement officers and my observation uh, are, are, can be very innovative and they adapt, you know, sometimes very, very quickly and very well. And that's what I'm hearing you say is, uh, you know, everybody sees the challenge, does what they can to work it out. And it comes down to that innovation, that teamwork. And uh, as, as I think you mentioned, relationships. And how to make sure that uh, um, you know leveraging those relationships, even in this strange time of social distancing, and trying to do this job um, in the context of social distancing, even with those that do sort of the opposite, is uh, that certainly will be our ongoing challenge. What do you what do you think? Um, and this is just um, I'm interested in your opinion. What's this going to look like in six months? You know, what do you think? What do you think law enforcement is going to look like in six months? I really think that we'll be continuing to do very similar protocols that, that we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I do, I am concerned as the stay at home order is lifted and I, and I totally understand uh, why it's happening um, and, and trying to get the economy back on its feet. Um, a whole nother podcast right there, but mm -hmm. I, I do think we'll continue to, hold fast to the protocols that we have right now. Uh, I expect in King County this week that we'll get a notice to wear masks in public or in a public building when um, you can't social distance. So I think we'll be, we'll be wearing more masks even for the next six months. Um, and, and we're also looking, like I said, at the budget and uh, the economics of this downturn and, and what how can we respond to that? Will we be cutting services? Most of the neighboring agencies here in King County have already started to make cuts, um, freezing positions, uh, cutting some salaries, giving some layoffs. Um, so that's a whole other la layer of, I guess, stress for um, the pandemic. Yeah, they, uh, what's, that, what's that old phrase? May you live in challenging times, and, uh, and we certainly do. And, and um, you, Chief, have been um, really um, great with your willingness to um, share with others. I, I uh, was able to sit in on a, on a discussion that you had with other King County Chiefs uh, several weeks ago now about sort of lessons learned and, and what people could learn from uh, Kirkland's experience and, and uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today on this podcast and uh, uh, appreciate and uh, and it's very notable, again, uh, the leadership that you've demonstrated and your willingness to share with other uh, executives. And I want to I thank you both for your work and for your time. So thank you, Chief. Absolutely. Very good. That'll be the, uh, the end of this podcast for the Washington Association of Sheriffs and Police Chiefs. Again, this is Steve Strand, and our guest has been Chief Sherry Harris of the Kirkland Police Department.